The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh, and Jack Spruce. Jax, how are you this fine day? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm all right, Brian. Um, just working away today, trying to get things all organised and get keep the podcast going in 2022. Yeah, so so getting there. How are you doing? Yes, no, I'm good as always. I'm I'm I'm, I'm buzzing actually. So yeah, I'm really I'm really I'm really looking forward to today's podcast actually, um, because today we have the pleasure of talking to Malcolm Perryman, the commercial manager at IRPM who led the research into mental health in the property management sector. Malcolm has been with the IRPM for almost two years now, and prior to that, he was an affinity and sponsorship manager at the RICS. So, Malcolm, good to have you on. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Good, 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 good. So, I suppose the the big thing that we want to talk about today um, is the report that you've been involved in and produced um, an industry well-being survey report for 2021. The information in the exec summary in that was was pretty pretty hard reading, actually. It's a bit of a tough read. Can you tell us more about that and why all this research began? Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult read, definitely. I mean, I think it's well known that property management is is a really tough job. Yep. Um, and that members are prone to you know, getting stressed, anxiety, burnout, but but no one had ever quantified that before or, or put a marker down um, so we could start tracking where things were and where things were going. Um, so we worked jointly with Armour on this survey, and that's because they basically had the same idea at the same time. They, they were hearing about increased reports of abuse of property managers yeah um and uh, they wanted to understand what was going on what the scale of it was what the nature of the problem was put some definition and terms on it um and um you know because we were both thinking about the same thing at the same time we decided to team up uh, and that's how the uh, the survey came about okay okay interesting yeah i did i did i read it um I read it a bit of time ago, and then I kind of refreshed on it um, earlier today. And and the the thing that kind of struck me was that you received over seven hundred. I think it was about seven hundred forty odd responses. And I mean that's a that's a that's a pretty high number. Um, do you think that in itself is an indicator um, that this is an area of real concern and interest to people? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Um, people wanted to put out there what was going on and how they felt. That that was clear. Um, the the other remarkable things about it were a hundred percent of people completed the survey, and it wasn't short. It was a forty-two question survey. Wow! So to get a hundred percent completion rate is indicative in its own right. And there were also over two hundred verbatim comments, uh, wow. which is a very high proportion of people leaving comments. 
and and a lot of those comments were really you know we're just pleased someone's listening uh-huh. um because you know we don't necessarily expect solutions um to to these things um uh, and uh you know it, i read through and my colleagues we all read through every single one of the verbatim comments okay okay that's that yeah i i, I read that in the report that was that you know to get that level of feedback um you know because normally you know people when they do these sort of surveys i guess they just kind of can't wait to get to the end of them and things like that, especially if they're reasonably long but but you know to get that level of interaction is brilliant did you and and when you were when I, I, did, I dare say they kind of came in um, at different times. Um, so, what were your kind of impressions when you started to see the results coming in? Was there any expectation to of what you expected to come in, and what what and how did um, how did the, your kind of first impression when they when they started dripping in? Yeah, I mean, we did know that it was going to be bad, right? Uh, okay. I mean, people frequently use the phrase. Um, that they're shocked but not surprised. Yes. Um, which seems like a bit of a contradiction. But you know, IRPM is a small enough organization to be accessible to its members and to be close enough to its members to to know what was going on and how wow. people felt. But when you look at the numbers, you know, they can accurately be described as as being shocking. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did was use uh, three questions that the Office for National Statistics have used for many years called the measures of national well-being. Uh And they track um, how happy people are, you know, whether they feel their life is worthwhile, um, their overall, you know, feelings of well-being. Uh, And because we asked identical those questions in an identical way with our members, we were able to then, you know, compare those to the overall um, sentiment of of the UK population. Um, And, you know, it was bad. I mean, our members come out in the bottom quartile for those. Um, The first set of data we compared to was really, really bad. Uh But actually, ONS then released some data uh, to do with COVID that that coincided more accurately with when we ran our survey. Um, and actually the whole of the UK had deteriorated in its its well-being. But, but you know, even then our, our members came out, you know, below that. I say our members. It was also people from the Armour database as well, you know, yeah. people involved in property management. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I read that in the in the article that it was kind of lower than ONS average. And, and you know, you've got to, yeah, I mean... It, 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 We've interviewed a number of um, kind of business owners, um, property factors, um, ownership in 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 Scotland, and you know they see this. They they do they they see exactly the same thing. And you know, I mean, IRPM obviously work in Scotland as well, and and you know we've we've seen um, you know diff- people saying that it is you know it's 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 not an easy job, you know, um, and you know and, and abuse is just unacceptable and these sort of things. Yes. Yep. Completely. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I read a part in the exec summary of this where um, they where I think the um, people talked about nineteen percent of staff can't see themselves staying in the sector for the next three years, whilst twenty nine percent were unsure. Um, but then it went on to talk about people that were involved in the cladding crisis, and um, so you asked people about that during this. Can you tell us more about why this is so important to to, to explore and deal with? 
Yeah, so the reports that Armour were receiving about um, increased levels of abuse were, were heavily linked to the cladding remediation crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so by asking the question, you know, are you involved in buildings that require cladding remediation, allowed us to compare the two halves of the survey. And it was nearly two halves because the split between those who were and weren't involved in cladding remediation was nearly 50-50. So you could then look at the survey, all of the responses through two lenses. Um, And the reality was, uh, you know, cladding took the situation from bad to worse. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't like, you know, life was a bowl of cherries for people that weren't involved in cladding remediation. Yeah. Um, But um, it did make things worse. Um, People were under greater pressure in all areas of their working life. So from their company, from their uh, leaseholders, from the freeholder, um, from line management, the the pressure was increased if they were involved in cladding. They did feel better supported. You know, I think a lot of, um, uh, you know, things had been pulled out for people that were involved in, in cladding remediation in terms of senior level support. Um, So they did feel slightly better supported than those that weren't but but as i say you know it it just made the situation go from bad to worse if you if you were directly involved in cladding remediation yeah i read i read a statistic in your report that said um the people who were um in that through that cladding lens uh, that were involved in cladding um were 90 percent more likely to have left the sector in three years time to compare to people who weren't and that is an exceptionally high number Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head. Um, You know, you're still looking at the majority of people saying I I will be here, you know, in in five years time. But um, cladding is clearly, you know, really weighing in badly on people's, you know, sense of well-being and, and their ability to cope. Um, so it did make a big difference in their attitude to whether or not they, they thought they would stay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that, you know, there's a lot of stats in here and, and, and I guess that, you know, um, you now have a benchmark and a, um, to then, you know, if you do these year on year and, and things like that to see where the movement in the market is and, or in, in, in the, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one of the commitments that we made um, Uh is to repeat the survey on an annual basis um, and to track and and report honestly and ask people to tell us honestly, Uh you know, how they felt. Okay, so how... So you have this information. How will you use the report to 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 to, to create positive change? And what, what does the future look like? So, um, you know, I'd say for for your listeners that are interested in completing the survey when it comes out again, we're currently working on it again jointly with Armour, um, and um, it should be available from the 8th of February. Certainly look out for it from that date if you want to participate in it. That was the same time it was launched last year. Yep. Um, we we also work with Armour on producing a plan because there were some clear areas that were shared between many of the respondents that, that mm-hmm. we thought we could act on. So uh, a number of people had identified that you know, if you if you go on public transport, you frequently see posters that say, 
we don't suffer, we don't tolerate uh, abuse of our staff, you know, and we're going to prosecute you if you abuse our staff and you're not going to be able to use public transport. And, and people were looking for the property management sector to do the same thing for them, you know, just to make a clear stand and just say abuse of staff isn't acceptable. Um, it's not something that we will tolerate in order to, you know, retain contracts. It doesn't come with the territory. It shouldn't yeah. do. That's what they wanted. Um, and uh, with Armour, um, we uh, came up with this unreasonable behaviour policy. It was something that Armour had had in, in the past, but this was a chance to really revamp it and, and bring it to the fore. Um, and, and what that enabled firms to do where, where they didn't have any policies in place for abuse of staff is just to, to use that, to, to put it immediately into place and in effect in their businesses and have a series of ways to identify something was abuse, um, to record it um, and to have a process in order to manage it and take action around it. And that could be as simple as saying to somebody, don't swear at me. You know, if you swear at me again, I'm going to terminate this call. Uh -huh. Giving people some simple processes that would empower them to to deal with that situation and, and so that they could fall back on those things and say, I recognize this. It's abuse. I don't have to accept it. Therefore, these are my processes. And, and that's something that people have come back to us and said, thank you, because we've put that in place at our organization. And it doesn't stop abuse but it, it gives us a method and process around it so that we're dealing with it in a fair and, and consistent way and, and documenting it when it happens. So that was one really important thing. Um, on the issue of sort of communication with consumers, with, with leaseholders, the, the property management profession is committed to, you know, transitioning to a consumer sort of customer focus led culture. And, and it was essential that, you know, what we saw in the survey didn't turn into a blame game where it's like, you know, all those leaseholders, because leaseholders are having a hell of a time. Yeah. Everyone's been under pressure from COVID. There's extra demand on services because people are working from home. They're trapped in their houses, yeah. you know, in, in many cases. Um, and also, if you if you you know got cladding that needs remediated, you could be paying for a waking watch. You could be worried about fire. Yeah. You might have had a zero valuation on your property. So it's a really bad time for leaseholders as well. So yeah. one thing that was identified is the need to support our members in their communication with leaseholders um, and a series of documents and guidance notes and web portals were created for, for members to be able to um, talk clearly and um, with, you know, with in graphical form um, uh, about building safety to leaseholders yeah. to explain what was going on, particularly with the building safety fund um, and explain the processes and explain the complexities to them. So, and, and you know, having resources for leaseholders and, and RMCs um, um, uh, for, for our, our members to use was something that came out of it. And then, then another thing was um, we produced a, a kind of a series of video programs um, with a psychotherapist called Adam Laidler. Um, we were very lucky with Adam in that not only is he a qualified psychotherapist, but he used to work um, as a supplier to the property management sector. Oh, right. Okay. So he, he knows the job. He knows how tough it is. 
um, and he's able to um, relate, you know, things that would otherwise be abstract to uh, to our members, to, to property managers. Um, and the videos were really there to equip people with knowledge about what's going on, you know, in their bodies when they have emotions. You know, the fact that chemicals in your body are developing these fight or flight, um, you know, reactions to situations. And just to understand that, um, to understand what to do about it, how to process those uh, and, and, you know, give people some techniques um, so that they could de-stress themselves at the end of every day so that they weren't carrying these things with them, you know, for weeks, months or years, you know, without end. Um, and, you know, what I hope and, you know, what the final program tells us is people in the sector kind of believe that they're more comfortable talking about well-being mm-hmm. uh, and they're able to discuss these issues, um, you know, with more more clarity um, and just, you know, be able to discuss them full stop without fear that, you know, somehow it's a sign of weakness. So, you know, those three things were, uh, they, they've all received really excellent feedback. You know, it's a drop in the ocean um, and th- there's many hard miles, you know, that still need to be done to, you know, address the situation and um, create a situation that's that's better for, you know, both uh, property managers you know, and and the people that um, they're working with, you know, the the leaseholders, the residents on a, on a day to day basis. Yeah, but it, yeah, that's 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 really good to hear. But you know, I, I, and there is a there is a, a long way to go. But but you've taken that kind of first step by doing this, and you've you know you've. It sounds like you're almost putting in place a kind of best practice um, for people who, if they you know if they to deal with the, these things on a daily basis, and all these things you're putting in place is kind of. Um, it's there to help them, and and if and if people are using things that are common across the industry, then you know steps will will be taken to to improve it. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to um, the employers, um, sixty six so two thirds, sixty six percent of firms already had sort of active well being uh, practices or policies in place at their organisation. Um, so it, it was something that. Uh, the employers in the sector had recognized and in many mm-hmm. cases had taken action on. I think, you know, things like the unreasonable behavior policy are really helpful for SME firms who just don't have, you know, the time or the capacity to yeah. come up with these things themselves, you know. So it's a sort yeah. of drag and drop document to add, you know, into their policies and procedures. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, you know, when you do it as a collective and there's, there's and there's a huge amount of people involved in it and you're, you know, you're you're taking all that input from these 740 odd people, um, you know, it, it, it's good to be able to then bring something out that, you know, if, and you know, you're right, some companies will already have their own, their own things in place, but, but it's always good to look at what a kind of, um, a larger organisation and that has a, a input from a collective of people are doing about it as well. Yeah, I, and and I, I, everybody involved with the survey absolutely felt the need to do something. Um, yeah, you you yeah. couldn't see those results and read the verbatim um, commentary without you know absolutely feeling the need to to take some action. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's always the 
and I'm not suggesting that this would happen, but but you know it's always a danger that you you know you survey and and you think that's the end of the line, and it's absolutely not. You know, it's the start of it. It's the it's the thing that then means you 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 take the results and 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 go and make things better and make change. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Though the 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 situations are complicated, mm-hmm. um, and whilst they're not intractable, you know the 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 solutions to them aren't simple. You know, yeah. there, there isn't a magic wave to wand, yeah. um, a magic uh, wand to wave. Um, the uh, s- some of them are uh, culture, some of them are circumstantial, um, some of them are t- to do with business models, um, yeah. and it, the whole thing, you know, is going to take a big effort to, to to try and make progress on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. That's been that's been hugely interesting and certainly great for me to talk to to you, having read the having read the survey report. Um, at this point in the podcast, Jax cuts in and asks you um, our three quirky questions that we do with everybody at the end of the podcast. So, Jax, over to you. Yes, very serious podcast, um, and now we're going to lighten the mood a little bit, Malcolm. So. Um, Finally, our three quirky questions then, the first of which is, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Uh, oh, so there's a, a big lesson that I learned um, about not breaking embargoes on stuff. So many, many years ago, I was working for a big FTSE 100 firm and um, I was told under embargo that there were some changes afoot um, and... Um, I, I knew a colleague who was going to leave who I wanted on my team and I went to him and said look some things are going to change and um, uh, you know I th- reconsider your decision to leave so I spoke to them they of course spoke to someone else who spoke to someone else who spoke to someone else and they got back to the managing director and I was invited to a meeting with the managing director it's the, it's, it's the only time I've ever been invited to, to a meeting in a car park and um <laughs> I got a strip torn off me, um, but I learned my lesson. I've never again broken an embargo, and, and nor am I likely to. I think as a yeah. consequence of that. Wow! Well, yes, I know it's nothing. Whispers, yeah. <laughs> That's my response now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Um, so, if you ruled the world for a day, Malcolm, what would you do? Um. So I would. I would ban felt tip pens. <laughs> Personal experience of felt tip pens. So I think um, kids. I've never seen an adult using a felt tip pen, and they certainly shouldn't be given to children. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened at home, Malcolm? <laughs> well, they're just they're wet, aren't they? And it sinks through the paper. It makes a mess. They don't come off the walls. <laughs> And then all the plastic, like there's thousands of them in every house, they go dry. They're yeah. just really awful things and they have no practical application for, you know, an adult life. So I what would just great I would ban them. What a great <laughs> that is a good answer, I like it. Um, so when you're 70 and look back at your life, what will you be glad you did or feel proud of? Something you've either done already or something that you want to do? So but I'll be pleased to make it to 70 is the first thing. <laughs> and um, what, I'll give a shout out to um, the, the further education, sort of technical education sector here. So I worked on a project called World Skills London 2011. 
Um, and these world skills events, no one's ever heard of them, but they're where all the education benchmarks for the vocational sector come from. And it was an event that, that uh, a team ran. Um, there were 250,000 young people in education came through the doors of this big competition event to see it. It's a, it's a 100,000 square meter event that took up the whole of the Excel Center in London. So it's a huge event. Yeah. And there were over a thousand competitors from 60 different countries, you know, taking place in, in workshops that we'd created with the help of sponsors, you know, things like manufacturing, electronics, flower arranging, cooking, carpentry, plumbing, welding, landscape gardening, you know, robotics, you name it, you know, those vocational skills were represented, the hairdressing, um, stuff like that. And um, it was a very satisfying project to be part of just because you could see all the people that came through being influenced by what they saw and, and realizing that stone masonry was the thing for them you know like that literally happened to to people that i met and saw at that event so it was a lot of work but you know a good team and, and something that i look back at um you know with very fond memories oh nice cool thank you very much that's that from me brian thank you that sounds brilliant that sounds like an amazing project to get involved in yeah it sounds brilliant um, so thanks very much to um, for coming on today. And if anybody wants to, um, or if anyone's not read the um, the industry wellbeing survey report that we've been talking about today, you can download it, um, or we'll put a link um, um, on the podcast page for it anyway. But you can download it from the IRPM um, news articles page. So thanks very much for coming on, Malcolm. That's been great to talk to you. That's my pleasure. Thanks ever so much. Cheers.